So it's my uh, great privilege this morning to introduce our speaker, uh, David Rickner, who is the executive director of Jews for Jesus. Uh, David, what do you say about you, David? He's been the executive for over 20 years, taking over from Moish Rose, and David actually, believe it or not, attended our church as a kid. His uh, parents were missionaries in the Newton area, reaching out to the Jewish people of the Boston area. So he's kind of circling back. He notices that we're in a little different of a space <laughs> when, uh, when he was a kid. Uh, he actually came to the Lord at, uh, really, as an adult at Boston University. And shortly thereafter, dedicated himself to following the Lord and joined the ministry of Jews for Jesus before eventually becoming the executive director. But uh, David's much more than, a, uh, as, than just a, a biography to Nikki and I. Um, he was our boss for 12 years. And this is really our opportunity to get him back. <laughs> but uh, he was really only a boss if you consider your boss somebody who is um, a person who's perpetually trying to encourage you, a boss who wants nothing than to see you be all that you can be for the Lord. Um, gosh, it's crazy. I wasn't expecting to cry. <laughs> um, as Nikki mentioned, um, you know, he married uh, us, flew down to Namibia out in the desert. Uh, David is one of the, you know, very, I would say, small, small handful of people, I can say, in my life who have shaped me, who have been one of the key, these key individuals who the Lord placed there to help you not just become a leader or a follower of Jesus, to become a man, to grow up. You know, he, uh, I've known him since I was 28 years old or 27 years old, and he's been uh, just one of the people I'm so thankful to God for. Uh, he was a mentor, a friend, a counselor, uh, often the word of uh, exhortation and correction, which are worth their weight in gold. I think we have fewer and fewer people these days who will correct us when we need to hear it, and uh, they're hard to get. I'm so grateful for it. Uh, I also consider Dave just uh, David an amazing man of wisdom, of strength, uh, loves the scripture, loves to serve him. He's a man of vision. And I'm frankly humbled that he's coming to our little church uh, to come. But we're so grateful. So please, can we give a warm welcome to David Brickner? And let's just ask God's blessing on his service. Lord, we bless you and thank you for David being here. And I pray, Lord, that as he proclaims your word, you will speak to us, Lord. Anoint him and use him powerfully for your glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you, Garrett. Thank you, Nikki. Shalom. It's great to be here at this really uh, part of my roots, part of my history in obedience to our Messiah. And uh, I kind of consider your pastor and his wife on loan to you from Jews for Jesus because (laughs) we really have a relationship that even though God has called them into a different field of ministry, that they're kind of emeritus, Jews for Jesus staff, and they continue to make a wonderful contribution. So... When I had the opportunity to be here, of course, for you, Garrett and Nikki, and your wonderful children, what a privilege, and to be a part also of the installation tonight, but also because, as Garrett mentioned, there's this great connection that I have with this church in its previous location, and all, you know, we, there were the McDonald's and the McMillans and the Brickners, you know, and... Uh, <laughs> It was wonderful, and I've met some of you from those old days uh, since I've arrived this morning, so it's a privilege to be here. When you came in in your bulletin, you should have received a card that looks like this. 
And if you take it out right now and hold it up, it has my picture on it, so that's how you know it's the right one. And uh, I want to give you the opportunity to be involved in some of what you saw in that video. Uh, we're in an exciting time in Jews for Jesus, a time of change, a time of transition, and uh, a time of great fruitfulness and growth. And uh, a great time for you if you have a heart to see Jewish people come to know Jesus, to become a partner with Jews for Jesus. And so in order to enable that here today, I'm going to ask you to take this card and fold it. There's a little perforated line there. And then we're going to rip this card together on the count of three, all right? An ancient Jews for Jesus ceremony called the tearing of the card together at the count of three. And uh, I'm going to count in Hebrew, and amazingly, you'll know when to rip. Are you ready? Echad, shtaim, shalosh. All right. Now, unless you're especially creative, you should only have two pieces. And the smaller piece is for you to keep with you, to take you home, take me home with you as a prayer reminder. We need, and that's really the most important way for you to partner with Jews for Jesus. Your prayers really are the foundation of the ministry that God enables us to do all around the world. And so we want to ask you to pray. Pray for the work of the gospel among the Jewish people through Jews for Jesus. This larger section of the card, there's a place for your name and address and uh, boxes to check. I would appreciate if you'd fill this card out now. I won't think it rude if you write while I speak. And then at the close of the service, uh, Pastor Garrett has graciously agreed to receive a special love offering for the ministry of Jews for Jesus. And the offering that's received today from this church will go toward the effective spreading of the gospel among Jewish people around the world. So if you'd use this card, you can do that to indicate a gift that you might give. But even if you're not able to give, fill this card out so that we can send you either by email or snail mail or both our free monthly newsletter. That will tell you more about the Jewish roots of your Christian faith, more about how you can share Jesus with the many Jewish people that are in the greater Boston area, and thirdly, how you can pray specifically for Jews for Jesus. Now, as you leave, there's a table to that side of the church up in the upper hallway that has some literature from Jews for Jesus. There's some free stuff like this one, which is, I wrote called Some Pointers on Witnessing to Jews. All of you know Jewish people. God may give you the opportunity to share your faith. You might not know how. We want to help. And so stop at that table. Dahlia is going to be there to help you. And there are a number of things there, but I wanted to mention this one book. It's called Future Hope, A Jewish Christian Look at the End of the World. I want to mention this because of something that I say in the acknowledgments. This book is as much the work of Garrett Smith as it is mine. (laughs) Garrett did much of the research with me, and despite some differences of opinion... Surprise! (laughs) Or maybe because of them, we enjoyed team teaching the lectures that served as the basis for this book. If you're interested in end times, this is one book. And because your pastor was so integral to it, you might want to pick that up and stop at the table and see what can be of use to you. And of course, if you'd like to support Jews for Jesus, we really do appreciate that. But you know, our ministry is, as I said, going through change... And transition. And as I sat with Garrett and Nikki last night and heard the story of these last number of months, I realized what an appropriate uh, time for me to be able to share because 
that's what's happening here as well, most certainly. You know, one of the things that I learned when I was going to Sunday school across the street there was that in answer to what is man's chief end, it was man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I also learned another little ditty, and I taught it to my children. I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world, yes, we're the church together. The church is not a building, the church is not a steeple, the church is not a resting place, the church is the people. So I'm here at my church from these many years ago, so glad to be able to walk with you through this time of transition. And that certainly is what we're going through in Juice for Jesus. And transition, even though it can be exciting and challenging, is also difficult because transition means change. And change inevitably can be perceived, if you will, as a loss, at least initially. It feels like a loss. It can be very disorientating. And and if that's the way you're feeling because of what's going on here or because, well, to be honest with you, the only constant in our fast-paced kind of wacky world is change. So we all experience it in different ways. I've been experiencing as I've leading Jews for Jesus through this season. We need to find what our lodestar is. We need to find what our confession is. Garrett mentioned this in the child dedication. It's It's change that makes us sit back, stand up, and decide what we're really for. And recently I've been thinking about the change and the transition that occurred in the life of John the Baptist as he had to release ministry to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And there was a statement that he made that is found in our passage of Scripture today that I believe is appropriate for all who would follow him, all who would serve Jesus, that John made. Never more precious lips have, words have fallen from human lips than these words. He must increase and I must decrease. Could you look with me in that passage if you have a Bible? It'll be up on the screen, so don't worry about it if you don't have a Bible. But think about John and think about Jesus. John was a man of the wilderness, right? He spoke as a preacher on fire, and people had to go out to him to hear his message, and they did. John said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus was, well, he was a rabbi, a teacher in the synagogue, in the temple, in the community. For the most part, he stayed in villages. He went to weddings, dinners, parties. But like John, his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. John performed no miracles, and yet the power of God was on his ministry, and it turned Israel upside down. Jesus performed many miracles and saw many lives changed, but it was through his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension that he turned Israel and the world upside down. And here we are today, the fruit 
of that amazing transformation. But whenever there's a tradition, there's always a beginning point. Thomas Cahill, the great historian and popularizer of history, uh, talked about something which he called the hinges of history. These moments in time where something turns and a new day dawns in the life of a community, in the life of a church, in the life of an individual. We are at a hinge of history in Jews for Jesus. You are at a hinge of history in this church body. And maybe you're at a hinge of history in your own personal life. Think about John. Okay, what did God call him to do and to be as the forerunner of the Messiah? It was to point to Jesus. It was to recognize and acknowledge and set the platform for him to be who he was. And in John chapter 1, just before we see our passage of scripture, there's this beginning of transition where this very thing happens. He says these amazing words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There he is. And then he says these words. He truly is the Son of God. The first time ever in human history that those words were spoken and now have been spoken by billions. The Son of God. And God had told John, hey, when you see the heavens open and the Spirit of God descending on this man then you know he's the one. That's the other part of this transition. And, and, and I see this, and the scriptures kind of record it in all the Gospels as somewhat a, a semi-private affair between John and Jesus. He sees it. He gets confirmed in his calling as the, as the one who would prepare the way. And somehow he witnesses the heavens open, the dove descending, Jesus goes down in the water, he comes back up, and then what happens? (laughs) We see Jesus go off into the wilderness. And I just, in my mind, imagine John standing there and watching him go and saying, okay, now what? (laughs) Right? I mean, Jesus was on his three-year journey to the cross, but John was in the midst of this hinge of human history, this this transition from one kind of ministry to something he didn't even know what it was going to be. And so John is trying to figure out the answer to the question that comes from our scripture today. Let's go to that slide now. And they, that is the disciples of John... Come to him and say, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing. That's our gig. And all are coming to him. I mean, (laughs) this was a challenge to John. Hey, you're losing your ministry. Come on, John, get it together. We need to fight for our crowds, right? And John's response may have been the hardest thing that he had done to this point. Because he needs to share with the people who have followed him, who have loved him, who have helped them to see God, that now they should no longer be looking to him, but to another. And so John's response is, you yourselves. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness. 
that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. And then these precious words. He must increase, but I must decrease. John had figured it out by the time these disciples challenged him. He must, I must. And this has me thinking about what our response should be in these hinge moments, in these times of transition where we're not exactly certain what to do, we know how to do it. He must increase. I must decrease. Now, John knew, certainly, that whatever success Jesus had after him would only redound to certainly his own effectual calling and the effectiveness of his ministry. But think about this. John had the privilege of handing off his ministry in Israel to the perfect son of God, who would do a perfect job, (laughs) even though, as we know from later on, John found it very difficult to understand at times what was going on. Nevertheless, we in our transitions... As imperfect people, handing off our responsibilities to other imperfect people have a challenge. And then the people who sit under the authority of the other imperfect people, you can see how it becomes more and more complicated and can be scary for all who are involved. But here's the key. Who we are in the Messiah. Our identity. We are in him. And therefore, all of the change and all of the transition and all of the uncertainty has a solid bedrock on which to stand. We have been baptized into his death and we will be raised with him. Because of Jesus, God looks at you and God looks at me and tells us, beloved son, (laughs) beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. In that, we identify with Jesus in his baptism. And though I've never seen a dove descend on you or me or anyone else, I know because of the promise of his word that the Holy Spirit indwells us. And therefore, we can handle transition and change from the outside because we already know who we are inside through Jesus. And we can say with John, here's the thing, come what may, He must increase, and I must decrease. And you know, I've thought about this too. It's a mystery how we can be changed, and through that change become more the very people that God wants us to be. We think we're who we're supposed to be now, but God says, no, I want you to be more the true David Brickner, more the true Nikki Smith by changing into the likeness of Jesus. And that's a wonderful mystery that we get to participate in. As we submit to God, he changes us. He leads us. And John, facing this transition, nevertheless, even in the midst of this commitment, had temptation. And there is always going to be a temptation in transition. As Yeshua himself, Jesus the Messiah, was 
tempted in the wilderness when he went after his baptism there for 40 days. So we are tempted. John was tempted in two different ways. First, externally, the challenge of the authorities. You guys know a little bit about that, I think, here. Um, so the, it was after John saw Jesus go off into the wilderness that this delegation comes in from Jerusalem, right? And the Pharisees were certainly behind it, the temple priests, because John had gotten a reputation. People were going out. This is, you know, maybe because it was a challenge to their authority. For whatever reason, they had this official delegation coming out to John. And it could be flattering, don't you think? We want to know who you are. What do you say about yourself? And, and with John's disciples in the background listening carefully to what he was going to do, he does something that they don't expect. I mean, from a modern parlance, you could say, you know, people were coming out to see this guy, John, son of Zacharias. You know, there were book and movie contracts to be had, you know. Uh, camel hair clothing was the latest fashion in, you know, locusts and wild honey were the greatest appetizers in all the hot night spots in Jerusalem. John, this is your opportunity. Seize the spotlight. But what does he do? He doesn't do any of that. And, you know, there is a sense in which that temptation comes to us as well. From the outside, people saying, what's really going on there? You know, are you guys holding it together? I mean, the Boston Globe, I read of something about you guys. What's, uh, what's really happening? And, 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 and uh, we're tempted to uh, kind of take a different attitude than what John did when those moments come. The, 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 the temptation all come, also comes from within, like what the disciples of John said. Hey, what are you doing? Everyone's flocking to him. There's a temptation there. And, and actually, in, in, in Matthew chapter 9, we're not going to go there, but the disciples of John actually question Jesus directly, and they say, why do your disciples not do what we do? What we've been doing all along, they, you're doing it differently. What makes you think you're better than us? And Jesus, you should go read this passage. He says an amazing thing. He says, look, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. He says, but you put new wine in new wineskins, and then what do you do? You preserve both. There's a lot of interesting implications in the way Jesus dealt with John the Baptist's disciples. But John's answer to this question is very simple. He says, look, I I never claimed to be the Messiah. I'm not the groom, man. He's the groom, but guess what? I get to be his best man. What a great opportunity. I'm celebrating. I have all the joy It's a wedding, and I get to be a part of it. And that's true for all of us, if we can recognize what our role in this is all about, what our position is in all of this. It leads to success in transition because we can say these words, he must increase, I must decrease. John didn't take the bait. Instead, he rejoices. And it's because of that joy that John was able to utter these amazing words. And I want to be like John, don't you? Even when I'm not sure what's going on, even when I'm thinking maybe somebody's going to take what I've passed along and kind of muck it up, 
Well, there's some humility that we need to choose as we go through these transition times. But as sons and daughters of God who recognize our identity firmly in the Messiah and his transcendence as we grow more and more like him enables us to refuse the, uh, or to be seduced by the appeal to ego, to guard our hearts against pride and disunity. May God give us the grace to do that. It would have been so easy for John to become competitive, but he didn't. And loved ones in Messiah, there will be times when our commitment is tested. John inspires me because he didn't love the gift more than the giver. He knew where his supreme loyalty lay. There are things that we, in times of transition, need to let go of. Expectations, reputation, places where we found our security, where we found our identity. And when we let go, we don't know. It could be like Isaac on the altar. We may or we may not get it back. But the path of obedience is for us as it was to John. So let me ask you just a few questions in closing that go to the very issue of our identity. Do you see spiritual transformation such as God works in times of transition? Do you see it as a catchphrase that describes the better kind of Christian you would like to be? Or do you see it as a promise of God waiting to be claimed day by day, moment by moment? Do you see your identity in Jesus as a theological reality that kicks in to keep God from condemning you? Or do you see it as a wonderful reality that keeps you from condemning yourself and others? Is it an identity that guards your heart from jealousy and resentment? Because you know what? It's meant to do, oh, so much more than that. Do you see joy as an option that would be nice if the situation and circumstances allow? Or is joy part of the fruit of the Spirit that grows as we abide in Christ? Part of our identity that strengthens us and those around us to do the right thing. Brothers and sisters, we need to have the kind of faith that allows us to say with confidence each and every day, he must increase and I must decrease. D.L. Moody said it's very easy in life to be too big for God to use. But not too small. Can you say these words with me as a commitment to the Lord today before him? He must increase, I must decrease. Let's say it together. He must increase, I must decrease. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that we have a privilege that has been modeled by John, but has been also the watchword of all of those who would follow him in pointing to Jesus. We know that that is what you've called us to do as individuals, as a church, as the worldwide body of Christ. And may this be our clarion call as we follow you. Lord, may you increase in us, in our church, 
in this world as we decrease in humility to obey and follow you and to be changed into the likeness of Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.